Enterprise Intelligence is a weekly video series that talks to industry experts, global thought leaders, and seasoned knowledge workers about how they're tackling their information challenges, embracing new technologies, and moving the needle on performance. Hosted by Shiny Docs founder and CEO, Jason Cassidy. I'm joined today by Byron Holland. Byron is the president and CEO of CIRA, the Canadian Internet Registration Authority, which manages the .ca domain name registry on behalf of Canadians and is a respected leader in both the Canadian and global internet governance ecosystems. Welcome, Byron. It's really nice to talk to you today. The, the typical audience that we talk to is information management professionals, CIOs, and we're, we're always talking about how information governance is much beyond where you store the information or what applications that you use. It is a plurality of the infrastructure, the ecosystems, the strategy, how people use the information. And I loved when Heidi at our organization made the introduction that we could get an opportunity to talk to you because underlying all of this is the idea of trust and how do you know that you can trust the systems that you're talking to and one of the fundamental features of DNS is ensuring that trust. I'd love it if you, you could tell me certainly a little bit about the .ca registry. I think that's the things that our, our audience will be very familiar with. And then you could talk about the additional services that Zero provides. Absolutely. And I think it starts with our overall strategy because our number one goal is to help create a trusted internet in Canada. And as I'm sure you can imagine, that's getting to be a, a, a more a bigger and bigger challenge these days, particularly in light of current events. But what most people know us for is .ca. So that's the .ca domain name. Anybody who's on the internet and and types in you know chapters.ca or governmentcanada.ca, essentially we create that domain name for the end user. So any .ca domain name in Canada is in a sense manufactured or created by us. And that's what most people know us for. Probably the most uh, critical piece of infrastructure that we operate is the underlying domain name system or the, what we call the DNS infrastructure. And what that is when you type in that name, chapters.ca, that request or that query goes out onto the open internet, finds the one and only official chapters.ca and returns that to your browser. And that transaction is a DNS query or lookup. And we're, in a sense, the authoritative traffic router of all that information on the internet. And we make sure that the right thing comes back to your browser. That's a critical infrastructure piece that we operate. But we also do a number of other things to help create a trusted internet in Canada, which are really around cybersecurity and the resiliency of the internet in Canada, particularly for .ca, but for others as well. We do things like a DNS firewall. So if you think about security in general, it's a multi-layered defense for any organization, be it government, private sector, even in your home, it could be. And a DNS firewall is a virtual firewall that's like your outer moat of protection. And every good cybersecurity environment will have multiple layers. So there's your outer moat, like DNS firewall. There may be the walls, like a physical firewall. And then internally, there are many different kinds of applications that provide software-based security. Depending on your age, of course, you might think of Symantec or McAfee, those kinds of programs that help 
secure your environment inside. But then I think as many people will know, often from a cybersecurity perspective, the real challenge is the people inside the organization and making sure that they're trained, that they're aware, that they're a little bit suspicious and the right amount of paranoid so that they are aware of any potential bad emails, fraudulent emails, phishing, scams, malware, all those things we hear about in the news, our people have to be aware and trained on. And that's cybersecurity awareness training. And that is a critical component of any multi-layered defense. Now at CIRA, we provide DNS firewall services for enterprise, that outer moat of protection. And we also provide uh, very high quality cyber awareness training to train the people. So we protect the outer perimeter and we train the people to protect themselves and thus the organization. So those are a couple of the, the main services that we offer uh, in addition to what people mainly know us for, which is .ca. It's, I really like that. I, w I wouldn't mind starting with the training because like even internally at Shiny Docs here, we just went through uh, a simulation that our staff didn't realize was being simulated of phishing attacks, and we did it through a, a third party. Prior to, obviously, we've provided some fundamental training to our staff, but likely not the training that that you provide. And it turns out we probably need it as we went through. Luckily, nobody was specifically breached by this virtual uh, phishing attack. However, a lot of people would follow the link, and they would engage with the page that that was in the links on there, which quite frankly, you shouldn't do. You shouldn't send out a signal to say that I'm here. Thanks for sending me this spoofed email. And so maybe you could talk a bit about the training. Uh, there's some obvious things to look for. I'm not going to click on something that's just an obvious bogus address or an IP address, but there's got to be more subtle things out there that, that people should be aware of, and maybe you could cover a couple of those. Sure. Cyber awareness training for our people, right, the people in the organization, is really what I would consider the bedrock of any good, secure environment. And part of the training, it can't, we're at an age and a stage, it can't be boring, it can't be textbook or dry, or that once a year just check the box kind of an exercise. If you're doing it that way, first off, that, that is super old school. But the other thing is people just don't do it. it it's a set it, it, it's shelfware. You put it on the shelf and you dust it off next year when you have to do it again. So what we're really focused on is how do you gamify it? How do you make it visual? How do you make it at least a bit entertaining? Can you score it, create some competitive juices among uh, your employees? Those are all different tactics you can use to get people to engage in it. The other thing is, it has to be ongoing and constant, right? The bad actors are creative. They're surprisingly hardworking in a certain kind of a way, and they're relentless. So you, this is, being protected, being secure is not a once a year exercise. It's an ongoing, constant, update yourself, continually be aware environment. Now. It doesn't have to be hours per week. It has to be a few minutes here and there. And that's one of the services that we offer is there's a regular kind of cadence and a regular beat to doing a little bit of awareness training, gamified and visual on a regular basis. And that keeps it front and center for employees. Plus, if anything new comes along, uh, some creative new bre uh, potential breach, we're always updating uh, the, the training itself. 
So not only do you keep it front and center, not only do you keep it a little bit entertaining through gamifying it, you also keep it up to date for the most uh, current potential compromises. And I think those three elements are really critical to having a successful, continuous cyber awareness training environment. I think that's genius, Byron, because we, we, I often joke around about like, we all took calculus in in high school or university, but how many people could solve a limit or a differential or integral equation? Probably not that many. And I'm not belittling the education that we got. Like it's we learned how to learn. However, this is a different kind of learning. This is something that you must have continuously because your security depends upon it. It's a different. It's not learning how to learn. It's actually learning how to engage with the internet safely, which is a different level of necessity, I believe. I think you're 100% on the money there. This is not something you learn to get a check mark or a degree or some sort of certification. We have to just simply accept at this point that potential compromises are just an ongoing part of the existence on the internet. And in order to be safe, we have to continue to learn in an ongoing way that can effectively counter the new and novel and different uh, vectors of attack that the bad actors are constantly subjecting us to. So it's not going away. We, we just have to accept that. It's not going away. And if we want to be continuously protected, we as individuals in a company or in an organization need to be continuously updating ourselves. And, and the security teams in our organizations, they're constantly updating themselves and they need to put in place processes and technologies and tools that help the average person in their organization who may not be a techie or a cybersecurity person, help them help themselves to protect themselves and thus, of course, protect the organization writ large. I like that. And it's, it ultimately, that is the most dangerous attack vector. And I like that you talked about that first. But let's say that I am acting in a compliant way. I've taken the training. And now I'm connecting to, like you say, chapters.ca or shinydocs.ca or sierra.ca. And I need to trust that domain is who, in fact, it says it is. Otherwise, everything falls over because it's, we always assume it's a man-in-the-middle attack that we're worried about. But if you can pretend to be the destination, then that's a different level of, of threat. Could, we, could you talk about how the DNS firewall is continuously mitigating against those types of threats? Sure. So there's the human dynamic that we just talked about, and then there's the technology layers of defense. And D, the DNS firewall service that we offer and DNS firewall services in general are really the outer moat of protection. And essentially what's happening there is we are constantly real-time scanning the entire internet. And we get a number of threat feeds, global threat feeds, Canadian-centric threat feeds, specific threat feeds like child endangerment threat feeds. And we aggregate all of those which are all coming into us on a near real-time basis. And what those threat feeds are essentially helping us understand are what are the dangerous or known bad actor domain names, or, which is often the case, domain names are created and used for bad activity in very short time cycles. So you need to be able to do predictive analytics because mostly we can see the patterns when we understand them. So that even if a domain name is brand new, 
we see the pattern that makes it consistent with other known bad domain names. And essentially, we aggregate all those feeds, whether it's known bad actors or predicted bad actors, bring it together and prevent that domain name, if you will, from even entering your environment, entering the building. It's protected out there at the moat. We don't even let it get in. And that's a near real-time environment. So we essentially take 998 or 99.9% .9 of the potential bad traffic out of the game, literally before it even touches the building. And that's the DNS firewall environment. And it's specific to the infrastructure of DNS and that internet ecosystem that is the underlying, the, fundamentally the underlying protocol of the internet. And we do it at that level. We do it for enterprise service we call DNS firewall, unsurprisingly. And we also, given the nature of our organization, we provide a free version to all Canadian citizens. So it's, as you can imagine, it's a slightly stripped down one. It's easier to use than a commercial enterprise grade version of it. But essentially any Canadian citizen can come to our site and get a free version of it, both mobile or on a computer. And that's giving folks that kind of enterprise level DNS firewall security, but for home-based use, and for free. I, I love that because you, you give an obvious example that I see all the time where somebody mocks up their pretend PayPal page and that's mm -hmm. that the domain name is like my-paypal.ru. And I love the idea that you're going to, you will identify that immediately and not even let it get to my browser as opposed to me having to have some type of software that's going to detect it on my end or just trust my intuition or training that I have. So the, diff the different layers, as you suggest, make it a, a pretty complete solution. And that's a perfect example, right? You just use a domain name that there's a 99.9% .9 likelihood is not legit. So that is exactly what our service would look at. It would know right away that is not a legit email because it's already been proven to be a bad actor or because through predictive analytics, we know that's just not gonna be a legit domain name. And, and like I say, whether our, it's our enterprise grade one or our free Canadian Shield version for all citizens, you would never even see that because it would be protected at the outer perimeter, at the moat, would never even come into your environment. Yeah, that's that makes sense. So, so your organization is, it, clearly it has a commercial purpose. However, in my opinion, it has a higher level social purpose as well in that it does act to keep Canadians safe which is going to have the commercial benefit, reputational benefit. However, it's, it more importantly is the social benefit of making sure that we're kept safe. Maybe you could talk about the, the makeup of the organization and the management of the organization to that end. Like clearly you want to be commercially successful as a not-for-profit, grow and, and become, make sure that you're important and being able to service Canadians. However, the social good that happens is... It should, we should all be paying for that even if you didn't make a penny. So maybe you could talk about uh, how that informs the government's governance and operation of your organization. Sure. We're, our organization is a bit of a, a unique entity in that we are a private, not-for-profit corporation, but we're independent. We receive no funding from anywhere except through the sales of our services, whether it's domain names or, or otherwise. And profit, 
while I have no problem with profit, I like profit like the next person, but that's not the purpose of the organization. Unlike most private sector organizations, where at the end of the day, the fundamental purpose of a for-profit organization is exactly that, for-profit. The fundamental purpose of CIRA is to help build a trusted internet for Canadians. And we do that in a number of ways. Some I've just shared with you. But essentially what you're getting at is what is the purpose of CIRA? And the purpose of CIRA is to build a trusted internet in Canada, or at least to do what we can to help create that environment. And that's why our focus is how do we make the internet a safer place for Canadians? And it's Canadians in Canada, it's Canadians in the rest of the world using our infrastructure, or of course also the rest of the world who's trying to get to .ca domain names and sites and CA email addresses, etc. So that is our kind of our North Star, our guiding light is how do we make this a safer place? And how do we make it a safer place in an increasingly threatening environment. So that really is the focus of our organization. And whether it's creating a really safe and secure and stable .ca environment, so when you get a .ca domain name, it says something, right? It says, it, it says the organization has to be Canadian, for one thing, obviously. And thus, it's protected, we are protected, it's protected by Canadian law, Canadian legislation. You don't have to ship something over the border, right? There's a whole bunch of elements that are wrapped up in getting a .ca domain name that just convey something. And it, in part, it, create, it conveys that notion of security, uh, Canadianness, and uh, a rule of law environment. And that's just on the .ca side. But then, of course, because our purpose is to help build a trusted internet in Canada, we do all of these other cybersecurity-related activities and services that we provide to more small business, small medium enterprise is our primary sweet spot and, and also education. So we do a lot of work with universities, post-secondary institutions, as well as grade schools. It, in the beauty of integrating with like post-secondary institutions, it's my understanding that it acts as a bit of a petri dish to test out uh, how people are using the internet. Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, how you can leverage those use cases to to inform you and make a safer internet for us. Sure, it may not come as any surprise, but students in universities uh, are often testing their limits, <laughs> and occasionally, from time to time, go to places they shouldn't be going. And what that does is it provides an environment where we see a lot of data. Now, just to be clear, we're not tracking where people are going or anything like that. We don't, that's not what's happening here. But what we see is the bad actor sites and what in particular post-secondary institutions have very open and large scale networks that have tens, hundreds of thousands of students doing all kinds of different things and that really provides us with insight and intelligence on some of the bad actors out in the environment, not in the universities, but where uh, students are going. That then, in a sense, provide us that additional information that we then can loop back into our own feeds to help make it a more robust or fulsome feed, data feed, that then allows us to continuously improve our firewall service. So it becomes a bit of a virtuous cycle, and certainly the universities help us 
in that way by providing huge amounts of information that then get fed back into our own DNS firewall service. Yeah, that, that's cool. And I was excited when you first told me about that because it's, uh, I'd imagine the typical home user is, is probably fairly mundane. They're going to go to Amazon and they're going to go to their restaurant websites and Facebooks and Instagrams and other types of things. But when you get a number of students, uh, it's you're going to have everything. That they're curious. They're going to be. They'll be going after every piece of information that they can, which, which will inform you about what information is out there and which ones may be considered a threat. So that's quite cool. Yeah, absolutely. And through continuous improvement, machine learning, we're constantly feeding that into the machine, if you will, and learning from it and then improving the machine. And that's a cycle that just never ends. And because post-secondary institutions have very big networks, but also typically very open networks, compared to a lot of corporate networks, which are often quite locked down, that provides us a breadth of information that helps us continuously improve the machine. And it seems to me that your approach to this, in, in a sense, might be a little stronger than your typical CIO's approach of, let me just lock down everything I everything I think is known, and then I feel like I'm good. I feel like that's a false sense of security. I I, I like the idea of see seeing what people are doing, and then using that to inform your system as opposed to like obviously you want to be proactive. Obviously you want to shut down all of the known things that that corporate people shouldn't be going to, but that's not where it stops. So what advice would you give to a CIO about, okay, how do you supplement the good work that you're doing to lock down all the obvious things with this additional continuous learning and real-time updates associated with the threats that are out there on the internet? Sure. And even even my own CTO at CIRA, he'll often quip that the, the, the safest way to be on the internet is to not be on the internet. And for sure. But the other thing is the internet is this incredible innovation that we've lived with for a relatively short time, but it's the kind of the ultimate information source, communication source, creativity source, democratization source, right? We want to be able to realize all the benefits that this incredible invention has provided us. But we also have to recognize it's a challenging environment. So it's finding that fine balance between being as open as you can, as a network operator or CIO, as open as you can with your enterprise to let people harness all the truly incredible benefits of the internet while maintaining the level of protection you need. And, and I'll go back to where we started. This is a continuous journey. There's no set it and forget it here. So first off, there's no set it and forget it. Second, it has to be multi-layered. You need a, a DNS firewall. We'd like it to be ours, but you know, any pick one, get that. Physical firewall, internal, internal software and controls, depending on the nature of your organization, and then really this continuous training environment of your people. And that's the that's really the heartbeat of where it starts. So just accept there's no set it and forget it. Realize this is a, a, a continuous journey and treat your people as the critical resource they are and make sure they're educated in a way that they can consume it. And let's face it, 99% of employees are not techies. So accept that, 
and provide them that information and training in a way they can hear it, they can see it, they can access it. And if you can make it a little bit fun and gamify it, that's the nature of our environment right now. So figure out a way to do that. So to me, it's a continuous journey. Accept that. Multi-layered defense has to happen. And two, treat your employees as the most important element of this ongoing challenge and give them the information in a way that they can consume it and ideally in a way that's somewhat entertaining. Yeah, that's awesome. And going back to the questions around, yeah, how we learned initially and how we learn ongoing, it's uh, it, to me the obvious right way. And it's interesting that we don't go about that. Like you say, it's most things you just tick off once a year, you do your women's training or you do your whatever harassment training, and then you move on and and maybe you forget half of it, but this is something that if you forget half of internet security, that's the day it's going to bite you, and the stakes are pretty high. When we're in with organizations, when I say in with organizations, we come in and help them understand terabytes to petabytes of information and then make good decisions based upon where it should go and other things. The, the real issue that the CIOs have is they don't really know the strategy, what to do with all this information that's coming into their systems, that is already in their systems, and how much, how do I make the right information available to the right people? And I feel like this is actually quite connected to the cybersecurity training, is the idea of uh, data literacy and how do you help people understand information to begin with? Is that part of the cybersecurity program? Is a little bit of data literacy associated with that? Yes, it is for sure. Shiny Docs is is all about managing the crown. You know what I would consider the crown jewels of the organization, right? More and more in an information-based society with the data that we're creating. Managing that massive inflow is, in a sense, of course, what what you folks do. But that's often the crown jewels of any organization. That's where the value is. That's where the untapped value is, just let alone the information any organization needs to conduct its operations on an ongoing basis. But whether it's copyrighted material or your highly private intellectual property, or your customer's PII, all of that stuff is the crown jewels. And how you manage that is for sure part of a very robust cybersecurity stance, right? So permissioning and version control and all that kind of stuff is the next layer of defense. As you get, in a sense, closer and closer to the crown jewels, which you're managing, all of those layers are, in a sense, cybersecurity at some level. So while I've been talking about outer perimeter, fallback layers of defense, training the people, what are we all trying to do? Let's protect the crown jewels, right? That's what we're trying to do. And that's where that information management piece becomes so critical, whether it's, like I said, permission controls or versioning or whatever, and just the ability to find the right thing. All of those continue, in my mind, to be additional layers of defense to protect the crown jewels. I, I love that you call them crown jewels. And I was fishing for that beat in that it leads 
to the idea that sometimes when we talk to IT professionals, they really think about how do I save disk or electricity or how do I have less slabs in my racks. But quite frankly, those savings are eclipsed by the reputational damage that can happen during a breach and the commercial damage associated with with not having access to the crown jewels that you've uh, unfortunately often find out when it's too late. Maybe you could comment on how people should think about their reputation as something that's on their balance sheet that can go away very quickly if they don't look after the crown jewels and they don't look after the reputation. That is a huge challenge right now. And part of it, I think, is this transition, right? We've gone from being relatively trusting in what was happening on the internet, or at least not thinking about it too much, to we are in a very high threat environment. Whether it's your everyday kind of -of run-of-the-mill criminals with ransomware who are just trying to extort people, but at a network global scale, or it's state-based bad actors who have geopolitical incentives, especially for a large commercial, to try to penetrate environments, let alone government or security environments. All of those elements, I think, are really pronounced today, given the environment we have with the war in Europe. And we need to, CIOs need to be really conscious of, am I saving a dollar or two on electricity? Or am I protecting the crown jewels to maximum effect? Because that's the goal. Saving a couple bucks on electricity, yeah, I get it. We all have P&L statements to manage. But that's not the goal. The goal is protect the crown jewels so you can leverage the crown jewels and do whatever you do. That's the goal. That should be the primary responsibility and goal of any CIO, in my mind. And we are also seeing governments act on this, right? Especially Europe, which tends to be more progressive than any other regime here in terms of notifications of breaches, in terms of responsibility, liability, all of that's coming across the pond our our way. Governments have to put some guardrails up because private sector actors aren't disclosing. We know that. We read and hear about breaches and say, oh, that breach was nine months ago. Why are we just hearing about it now? There's all kinds of incentives not to necessarily share it, and yet suddenly that information's out in the wild. Customers' PII's out in the wild. Maybe intellectual property's out in the wild. Legislation regulation is coming our way. CIOs need to think about that. Look to Europe, because essentially what happens there often rolls into Canada, and we're seeing more and more aggressive uh, stances from European governments. So that's one thing. But the other thing is just, where's the value in your company? It's in the crown jewels. That's job one, not saving a dollar on electricity. You have to manage it, but recognize what the priority is. And and to me, that's the transition that we really have to think about. Because if you're not doing it, then of course it's not if, it's when. And when happens, the reputational damage, the intangible damage, you're gonna measure it in real dollars, if not careers and certainly from a trust perspective from your customers. And it's gonna be very difficult and a long and arduous task to regain trust of customer. Because we all know in our personal life, it's very hard to develop trust and it's real easy to spend it down in a big hurry. And you just don't wanna be in that position. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like I, yeah, it's obvious as we look at it, 
but as a society, we always fight against increased regulation at, at the start. It's a knee-jerk reaction of humans, I feel. But then we take for granted that, okay, good, engineers are the per- people who are certifying the bridges and the buildings that we're living in or walking across with really good reason. We don't want them to fall over. We don't want them to to be unsafe. Same thing with medical doctors, all sorts of other places where we, we take for, for granted that a hundred years ago somebody decided we should regulate this because it's important for all of us. And I feel like this information is, there's just as much at stake with respect to this, both commercially and safety-wise for people, but we haven't quite got the memo yet that we should be treating it with the same level of care and social responsibility as we would an engineering solution or, say, a medical doctor solution. Yeah, and the trick, the trick on the regulatory side is doing it at the right level, the right balance, right? You want as light a touch as possible while achieving your objectives as a safe environment. And the thing with the Internet space is, let's say from, let's call it the mid to late 90s when the commercial Internet really started to flourish, it's been pretty open and regulation-free. And, and that was by design, in part, And it was certainly intentional in order to help the internet writ large flourish and grow in a short amount of time. And it did. But at a certain point, you got to grow up a little bit, right? You move through your crazy teenage years and then, you know what? A little structure in life is required. If you want to have a successful, long-lasting and healthy life, a little bit of structure is required. And that to me is where we're at right now. And your point about certifications for engineers is incredibly valid. You want to walk across a bridge where the engineers, there's no rules for who gets to engineer it. We all drive, at least in Canada, on the right side of the road. We have faith in that because there's a rule and we all live by that rule. And as a result, we can all drive around fairly safely. Uh, If there was no rule, how would that go? Chaos and mayhem ensues. So light touch, right weight regulation is what we seek in order to create a safe environment. That's a tricky balance, there's no doubt. And and government often struggles with finding that balance. And that'll be in part the task of legislators in the coming years, because it's coming. So the key is, how do we make it sized and lightweight, but still achieve the task? Yeah, I I love that example because it's good to remind ourselves every once in a while that there's all sorts of regulations out there that I don't feel like is taking away my civil liberties or my ability to conduct myself commercially. I'm good with driving on the right-hand side of the road, and if I'm in the UK, then I'll drive on the other side. We all agree we're good, and we don't think about it, and I'm hoping that we can come up with the right kind of legislation that has that level of obviousness to it. Yeah, and I think you ask what CIOs can do. I think there's also an opportunity for CIOs. People are in the trenches doing the work, seeing the damage that can get done through malicious activity on the internet. You know, there's an opportunity to get ahead of this, to participate in the various forums, consultations, etc., to help drive what is right-sized and lightweight, but achieves the, the task at hand for CIOs in particular, I would say, get ahead of this ball. It's coming. So you might as well have a stake in it and a say in it and help articulate what the next generation of kind of 
internet organization and administration looks like. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'd, I'd always rather have things done with me than to me. So it's, <laughs> exactly. it yeah, makes a lot exactly. of sense. Thanks a lot, Byron. This is Byron Holland. He's the president and CEO of CIRA, the Canadian Internet Registration Authority, which manages the .ca domain name registry on behalf of Canadians. So, Byron, I, I, I think hopefully it's easy for most people to go and find a .ca domain name. I know I did it over 20, 20 years ago, but maybe you could talk about how people can get in, in touch with your organization and perhaps exploit some of your services. Sure. Unsurprisingly, we have a .ca domain name, and it's cira.ca, C-I-R-A dot C-A. And there you can find most everything we do, whether it's a .ca domain name you're looking for or for an individual, our free uh, enterprise-grade DNS firewall called Canadian Shield. So that's something anybody can put on their personal devices. Or if you're in the commercial sector, we have a number of services that can protect your environment too. But you can find all of that stuff at CIRA.ca. Thanks a lot, Byron.